So, Renee, thanks so much for taking the time. I know you're an extremely busy person. Um, you came to Kelowna about 21 years ago. That's Tell correct. us the story. Uh, well, my ex-husband and I had just finished our latest and greatest degrees. We were over $150,000 in debt. Mm-hmm. We were poor and we were pregnant. Wow. So had a young married couple, just three years, and uh, were both accepted into postgraduate programs and discovered that we couldn't actually get health care down in the States for a pre-existing condition. Right. So decided that we had been to Kelowna once on a vacation, really liked it. And so we thought, well, let's go there and see if we can find jobs. I found a part-time job to start with, and my ex uh, worked alongside one of his uh, other colleagues in dentistry and started the School of Hard Knocks and, and the scramble out of debt. Right. <laughs> Where did you come from? Edmonton. Edmonton. So I actually grew up in Southern California, and okay. uh, I was born in, in Drumheller, Alberta, and then moved down to the States when I was a very young child. Mm. I lived there my entire life, came back up uh, on an exchange, the pilgrimage to the Great White North, I called it, right. and uh, came to university in Edmonton, was there for four years, and then came to Kelowna. So are you a dual citizen? I am not. No? No. Uh, half of my family is, including my parents, but uh, my I've got two siblings that are not. And we've chosen to just be Canadians. Right. And you got uh, two graduate degrees. Yes. Your second one was at the age of 21. Is that right? Your first So my first graduate. So I I have a postgraduate and a Bachelor of Arts in Religious Studies Mm -hmm. that uh, I achieved actually when I was 19. And then by the time I was 21, I had my master's degree. So did you leave high school early? I did. Yeah, oh. I was one of those 14-year-old graduates. I think it was because they were actually trying to kick me out. Really? Why, <laughs> why do you say that? Go, please, leave us. No, I, uh, I had finished all the courses that I could take. So wow. I had done all of the advanced placement or AP courses at that time. They didn't have anything more for me. Uh, and I didn't really want to leave school at 14 yet. So I took all of my curriculum courses at the college that was right across the street mm-hmm. and then still stayed in um, my athletic programs. And uh, I was the vice president of the school, my high school. And so I got to continue that and then graduate when I was 15. Amazing. So how do you get from being broke and looking for a job to where you are today? Tell us some of the stories. That... Oh, the school of hard knocks. Um, one of the things I tell my kids today is, you know, chase opportunity mm-hmm. and take your passion with you. I was, uh, I would never say I felt desperate, but I never felt like I, I could afford to not take and make use of an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So... Um, you know, without a job, I looked at, okay, what can I do? Who can I do it for? I figured out I was pretty good at talking to people, pretty good at relationships and building rapport. And so I was asked to do a land assembly for a developer, mm. uh, go door knocking. It was not a, something that was already listed. And so I did it. And I was, you know, I come back all proud of myself with the contract in hand. And I think he was a little surprised. I don't think he actually believed I could get it. Wow. So I got paid for it. 
So How old were you at that time? I would have been 22. Wow. Yeah. So. Did you have any previous experience with real estate? None. No, no I won a leadership award out of, out of um, uh, high school. Mm-hmm. So when I was 15, I was awarded the Irvine Company's Leadership Award. That's California. It was, yeah. So the city of Irvine was created by a developer named the Irvine Company, started by the Irvine family. I right. Know. It's not very catchy. They were not super creative. But in their uh, one of their seven towers, they actually have this massive city that is all modeled out in tiny little figurines. And it is the entirety of the city as imagined in 1960. Wow. So it was an incredible experience for me to walk into this, you know, seven towers that they have in downtown Irvine and realize that someone imagined the city as it is today, way back then. Um, as part of that award, I got to do a, a shadow of one of their project managers for six weeks. Mm-hmm. I, I call it an externship because it's worse than an internship. You're actually so outside of the, mm-hmm. of the orb. But I happened to really uh, click with this particular project manager and learned a ton from him yeah. as he was uh, uh, launching oh. a new subdivision. And so it definitely put that that feeling of excitement around development and understanding around development. But what I didn't have was any true experience. Mm -hmm. And I knew that it was a big money game and I simply did not have any money. So is that when you started to think maybe you could have a future with land development? I, I needed a job. (laughs) And so I really was doing it because it was one of the few things that was paying money and developers were still active in that time frame in mm-hmm. the late 90s. Yeah. Uh, so I started doing it that way, but quickly discovered that I would want to do it differently. If I was to build my own development company, I would want it based on values. I would want a different culture. I wouldn't want the cult of my last name. I would rather want um, something that could live and breathe outside of myself and become an entity that was a real community contributor. For the first 15 years of, of our existence, Troika, Troika's slogan was, you know, passion for community development. Mm-hmm. Um, in, one of our, in one of our strategic planning sessions, one of the executives said, that sounds a little bit, like, aggressive, like we're passionate. Right. Um, and I said, well, that probably describes me. And so we did change it to um, building sustainable communities. Mm-hmm. And that word community was really indicative, not just of the bricks and mortar that we build or the roads and pipes that we put into the ground, but really more about who we are and how we bind people together. Mm-hmm. And even in, in how we see roads and networks, we see who's going to live there. What are they going to do in that park bench? Where is the stroller going to get from this point to this point? Where do kids go to school? How does the, you know, the senior citizen move around with a walker? You know, how, where am I going for a jog? in the morning. Mm-hmm. And it's those questions of, of how people are living. How are they connecting? Where do they meet? How do they connect? Um, that really excites us. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it excited me even way back then. I just didn't want to do this for a big nut profit or, you know, the, the money just wasn't satisfying enough. It didn't mm-hmm. hold enough appeal. Right. And so I started asking questions of the five developers that I could find to sit down with me. So the David Podmores of the world, the Peter Wessex, uh, even the Al Stobers, and said, you know, what would you do all over again? What would you never do again? And how would you, what would you tell a younger you? Mm-hmm. And with that, I built a business plan. 
you know, I had nothing but time and kids on my hands. So I just started developing this business plan. It's about 20 pages long. We still keep it in our archives in a printed format because the floppy disk that it was created on <laughs> no longer is readable by anything. Right. Um, and, you know, we went from there. I, well, I say we, but it was just me. Um, but I, it was after a council meeting, actually, that uh, you know, I was approached by a gentleman who said, if you ever decide to go out on your own, let me know. Mm-hmm. So can we meet for coffee tomorrow? <laughs> Here's <laughs> nice. my business plan. And I had already identified through option agreements some pieces of properties that I could easily rezone, that I knew there was a need in the community. So like Citybrook Townhomes in Rutland was one of my first. Briarwood Apartment Buildings was one of my second. Yale Town Apartments uh, out in Glenmore. You know, really strategically going for communities that were underserviced, underrepresented, and making sure that every man had a home. Right. So you said that um, you decided when you were working for the first developer that you would do things differently. And then you had, I think you said, five mentors that kind of gave you advice about what they would do differently. Tell us some of the things that you concluded should be done differently. Uh, you know, they were they were varied. Uh, some said, uh, you know, get out of bank debt as soon as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Interest charges make you make bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, another one was own your own construction. Uh, you know, if you are always going to construction companies and paying their margin, it's difficult to maintain, you know, your own um, profit margin. But then also when things start going south, you sometimes need that margin. And, uh, and um, in order to build your projects effectively, you need to be first on the list. And how do you guarantee that? So, you know, we've built construction companies both on the prairies and locally here. Mm-hmm. And that's been very effective for us. Um, having, you know, other things like, um, you know, not, not developing it around your last name. Mm-hmm. Right? Why, um, why never never taking a company public or using pension fund money. Right? Okay, so that, there's a lot of follow-up questions there. So what is the reason you decided against using your last name? Because then you are always tied to the company. Mm. Um, Polygon Homes is a great example of Michael O'Dane not tying his name to the company. And right. it's really freed him in the latter part of his life to pursue things that he's super passionate about. Right. His art galleries are some of the most renowned in all of Canada, if not the world. He's been able to do that because he has Neil Crystal, who's the head of his Polygon Homes, mm-hmm. as the president and CEO. So being able to do that and evolve past it, I think is really, really important. Right. And for me, starting out in my early 20s, I wanted something that was sustainable. I wanted a, a builder and a and a development company that would be here forever, right. that could just morph and change as the times came. Um, I also knew that, you know, coming from nothing as I was, ownership meant a lot to me, mm-hmm. having my own company. And so as I started getting some really key people and developing relationships over decades, literally, that was significant. How do I keep them a part of this culture and this being that they've helped to create? And so vestment was the best way to do that. Mm-hmm. And you can't vest it if it's got my last name on it. Right. It doesn't, doesn't have the same feel to it. So the Troika tribe is truly that. And we do have you know, chiefs and we have, and we have the ability to really um, bring others and, and build succession up through 
um, the individuals that are part of us. So. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Where does the name Troika come from? It's a team of horses pulling together. Is that so, what it means? Mm -hmm. Is it a Greek word? It's Russian. Russian. Yes. So I am I am part Russian. I'm also part Ukrainian and part English and part German and part Chinese. Right. <laughs> so I am truly the multicultural Canadian. And Troika means? A team of horses pulling together. Team of horses pulling together. Yeah. So it's a, tr it's a Russian word that was, um, a troika was largely used in war, in times of war. And it was uh, three horses with a, a guard behind them. And it was a very, uh, very nimble, very flexible mm. um, mechanism. And it was also very strong. Mm. Uh, the three, the triad, uh, became a very um, a strong way of transporting a soldier. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, we, we looked at pictures of it. We thought it was a little too aggressive to do that, but we do have pictures of horses around the office. And we always say, you know, in our interviews, you know, we don't, we'd rather rein a horse than kick a donkey. You right. know, we want other really high achieving people coming on board and being a part of us. And, and, uh, yeah, we like to think of ourselves as, as horses that are all pulling in the same direction. Right. Mm -hmm. How many years has it been now? Uh, almost 20. Almost 20. Yeah. Next year will be my 20th year. So if a younger version of yourself were to approach you today, would you get the same advice that you got 20 years ago? No. What would you say differently? I would say don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> do something easier. Um, no, I wouldn't. I, I, I currently mentor uh, you know, some amazing women. I mm. love uh, who we've become. Uh, I, would do, I would definitely tell them, you know, some business advice that I've learned in getting my MBA, but also because that was a huge transition in our business mm -hmm. as to how we structured things and how we structured deals and how we move forward. But I would also uh, have some, you know, big cautions about capital um, and how to raise capital and what that looks like. And, mm -hmm. and I would say that that's probably been the hardest thing is that not having uh, you know, a family owned and bred company that's 60 years old, mm -hmm. uh, you know, has definitely shown me some great lessons. So yeah. I would, I would have some awesome information and wisdom for whoever came along. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and definitely hope that I've established it for those that, you know, end up taking over my, my places and spaces within the company. And I will always have some form of role here. I, I love it. I love who we are. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm part of that, that culture and that tribe, but I, I definitely see other people taking the helm. Right. Yeah. So you mentor a lot of women. I do. And uh, what was it like as a young woman being in the construction development business? Did you get any pushback? Did you get any attitude from banks or construction people? Oh, tons. Um, yeah, there were a couple of very strange incidents uh, on construction sites where, you know, if I got into details, it might not be as, uh, as awesome. But yeah, they involved me laying on top of steel and challenging the uh, rebar uh, installers to move me 
before they would move another piece of rebar. Yep. <laughs> so, um, what was that? Oh, they wouldn't stop working, and my electricians hadn't finished, and so their rough-ins were going to be, you know, like ten times more expensive because trying to rough-in through rebar is almost impossible on mm. a multifamily site. So, right. it was a. I needed these rebar guys to stop, and they weren't listening to me. Just tell them to stop, and so I took matters literally into my own hands. And they challenged me. They said, "What are you going to do in your high heels? Come up here and." stop us and so I was like yep so you and it was like up, up onto that site and and uh yeah up onto that big mound of rebar and I literally laid down and said well I don't know if any of you are mad enough to actually move me off of this pile of rebar so how about you go home and have a great weekend and uh, come back on Monday and we'll make sure the electricians are finished. <laughs> right. And so. did their attitude change? Oh, they laughed. The they thought that was awesome. <clears throat> they were like, okay, we're done here. Like, uh, yeah. Like, it was I, it was disarming. It wasn't <laughs> a threat. It was, right. it was more... Um, it was it was just more humorous than that, more um, assertive than aggressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. So um, I didn't really realize that I was a woman in a, ma- a male dominated industry until someone told me I was. Right. Uh, I would say the only thing I noticed, especially early on in Kelowna, was that it was uh, there were certain events I didn't get invited to, mm. or you know the guys were all getting together. They just all happened to be developers, but they don't think about inviting the only female developer. Right. Um, so I was. That's shifted. That's changed. Uh, you know, we have some great, uh, some great rapport. I feel like one of the boys. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, uh, they. You know, we've gone on trips together. We've, uh, we've built a lot of camaraderie. But that also through comes through how we've shifted development. We are a collaborative. Uh, entity, you know, the Urban Development Institute is no longer the sm- cigar smoking back room where we're, you know, flipping properties to one another. Mm-hmm. It's actually a very sophisticated organization where we're all collaborating and working together to to push forward the agenda, not of our own agendas, but actually the agenda of the community. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, if we don't represent the community's agenda, we don't sell. Right. So we're we're moving forward on that agenda and really trying to lock down what we need and show enough leadership to change the conversation into you know sustainable practices and and looking at different modes of housing and how we can identify uh, more affordability within what we do. But those are great conversations that we are having. Like mm-hmm. we're not being told to have them; we actually have them. So the evolution of the industry over the twenty years that I've been involved has been vast. Yeah. And I would say the first few Urban Development Institute meetings that I went to out out in Vancouver, um, UDI Pacific, it was a sea of male suits. Right. And now I would say it's probably 30, 30, 70. Like, you know, the women are definitely more prevalent. They're definitely more active and activated, and they're getting higher up in the ranks. Like, we do have females that are taking over companies that are vice presidents that are, you know, that are, um, you know, in executive positions that are the president and CEO of of the industry organization, UDI. So I'm excited about that, and I think that we're on the right trajectory in that way. Mm hmm You've um, been in Kelowna for a long time, so you've seen several real estate cycles uh, already. Can you get this uh, prognostication for the next five, ten years? What do you think? I think we're in for a little bit of a softening over the next little while. Um, 
we have a huge layering effect of taxation right now. Mm-hmm. And not just taxation. I'll, I'll, I'll clarify by saying taxation and policy. Mm-hmm. So whether it's the feds that are raising interest rates, that are giving mandates to CMHC to take out 30% of the market, to whether it's Bank of Canada doing a different stress test, all of that is coming from the federal level to really slow down two markets that they see as the with the possibility of hyperinflation, which is Toronto and Vancouver, mm-hmm. end stop. But in doing so, they have this unintended consequence that is going to dampen the markets across Canada. Mm-hmm. Then there's the second layer, which is the provincial. Alberta and BC have done a great job of our uh, of our politics in terms of you know softening the economy in Alberta so that their housing market takes a dive, and then we've just told the rest of Canada that we really don't like them, and the rest of the world that we're not welcome to their money. So, mm-hmm. which is there is there is a check that needed to take place in 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 how we evaluate some of the foreign money coming into our our province. But the way that we're doing it is completely ill-intended mm-hmm. and, uh, and not addressing what we actually needed to address at this point. Right. So I would say that, um, you know, the provincial effect is definitely there. Mm-hmm. Then we've got a municipal effect where we've got, you know, official community plans that are telling us we need more multifamily than single family. And we have a market that is demanding single family. Or we have municipalities that are taking two, three years to get through a, a rezoning application and a development permit, or taking ten years to get through an, an you know area structure plan. And in both cases, you're missing an entire market. You're not able to address things. Staff changes, and you know we, the consistent developer, are left holding the bag and to the tune of millions. Development is a high risk game. And we look mm-hmm. to mitigate risk at every point. And in order to do that, you go with the path of least resistance. So if Winnipeg is willing to, you know, to help me get through their uh, their process in an expedited fashion, or if Regina is going to, you know, um, put a special council meeting to make sure that my NSP gets heard, mm-hmm. or if you know the you know Lake Country is come, you know, please build here, and we don't have speculation tax, there. I'm going to go with those paths because largely the community will be delivered a less a less expensive product. Yes, makes sense. Makes totally. sense. Can we talk about your uh, plans for running for office? Please, awesome. absolutely. So you uh, alluded to the reasons why you want to run for office, and I totally agree with you. And uh, you, the first step is you've got to win the nomination. Yes. For this riding. Yes. And uh, we'll certainly endorse you and support you fully. And good luck with the nomination. So what's the process? What what happens next? So, yeah. So first I have to win the nomination, and that means people have to buy conservative memberships and Mm -hmm. then actually go out and vote on nomination day. We don't know when that day is yet. I have some speculation that it's probably going to be in February. And the only reason I think that is because we've just gone through a civic election. We've just, <laughs> we're about to deal with proportional representation. And then we have Christmas. So my, my guess is we're one of two last writings that need to have our nominations. Mm-hmm. So they've done another 142 of them. They're, we're down to the, the, the wire in terms of, of the nomination. Right. So please go out and buy a membership. Make sure you can vote, um, because really that is an active, an active process, right? Uh, mm-hmm. To to take that step and and become a member so that you're voting for your pol- your party uh, uh, representation. 
then it's the open election mm-hmm. and you know it'll it'll be very interesting for me i'm i'm policy oriented i you know i believe in the conservative platform i believe in um, fiscal conservative uh, responsibility and right now we do not have that mm-hmm. and i know that if i go out and spend on a credit card into oblivion with no intention or means to pay it back my debt will go to my children mm-hmm. and that is happening on a federal level that that just seems absurd to me yes but even more than that i'm a big big believer in the economy and we need an economy that's not based on you know federal dollars being injected in but rather true industry rising up and taking their place in our society. Mm-hmm. So I really like um, what's happening with our tech industry. I love what's happening with our cannabis industry. I love what's happening with our agricultural industry. But we need to get out of the way for these guys to actually move forward. And we need to backstop them in a way that makes sense. You know, So whether it's the agricultural um, uh, industry who needs to get their foreign workers on time, who needs different countries that these are coming from? Mm-hmm. You know, we've chosen a select two countries that these workers can come from, and yet 80% of our agriculture is is uh, is controlled by the East Indian community. Mm-hmm. Why do we not have an agreement with India to bring over farmers mm-hmm. that actually farm there what that are can the two help countries us here? That we, uh... Jamaica and Mexico. Wow. So we're putting Jamaicans and Mexicans with our East Indian agriculture workers. You know, like, how does that make any sense? You know, let's, let's, you know, show some leadership on that front. But moreover, with the, uh, you know, really open-ended immigration policies that the Liberals have have endorsed right now, um, they haven't been able to do so with immigration offices here. So they've downloaded it to the embassies in the countries of, of those origins. So we've got the Mexican embassy trying to get our foreign workers up here in a mm-hmm. timely fashion. Well, I don't know if you've ever heard of the term Mexico time, but that's <laughs> yes. a real thing. Right. And, uh, and you know, we can't, we can't rely on that. And that's not fair to our industry and our agricultural work, you know, workforce that is, that is, that is screaming for these, uh, for these workers to come. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say that a good chunk of our governments, our current governments, are comprised of people that don't have a lot of business experience. They just really don't seem to know what they're doing when it comes to supporting business, which is the generator of jobs. Absolutely. And especially small business. Mm. Right now we have a very Eastern-centric liberal party. And that is dominated by big business. So you see carbon taxes that are not Big businesses aren't paying for those. It's downloaded to the citizens. Mm-hmm. You know, our whole small business tax taxation that came through uh, last year, that that hurts. Who? Not big business. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Not trust funds. Not even touched. You know, and you want to talk about sprinkling, you know, issues with trusts. No, didn't even, didn't even grace the conversation. Mm-hmm. Who gets hurt? Our physicians? Our lawyers? Like... Who who provides for their you know for their maternity leave? Mm-hmm. Who takes care of them if they get sick? You know if they don't if they don't have the capacity to earn money and save it within their corporations, what you want them to be taxed at the highest tax bracket just so they can have a rainy day fund mm-hmm. for their business to pay their staff? Right. That doesn't make any sense. But then you take it into our small businesses, right? You look at our area here, we win awards for being the small business capital of Canada, for being the entrepreneurship capital of Canada. Mm-hmm. 
that's not just here. 80% of workers across Canada work for small businesses. Yes. So to, to start penalizing small businesses and holding them back, I think is completely contrary to economic health. In fact, it's not just me. I wish I was smart enough to believe that. But the Harvard Business Review actually has a phenomenal article about how entrepreneurship is the backbone to any economy, whether it's for resilience, whether it's for recovery, whether it's for innovation. Entrepreneurs dominate in all of those different ways, and they employ more people quicker. So for me, I'm, I'm a big advocate of less taxes, less government, get out of their way, make sure that we're supporting them in the best ways possible, and, and really create opportunity runways for our population. Mm -hmm. Have you had a chance to meet Andrew Scheer yet? I have. And what do you think of him? I love him. I think he's awesome and I think he will be an incredible leader. Mm -hmm. um, he actually you know, was the one who called me up and we sat down for a four and a half hour dinner and um, he asked me to run. So nice. that is why I am running today. And I told him, I said, I'll only run if you give me your cell phone number. So I know I can call you anytime. <laughs> right. Do you, uh, probably, I don't want to jinx anything, but would you be seeking a cabinet position or anything like that? Well, in my conversation with Andrew, I, I certainly made it known that I'm not a backbencher. I'm not someone mm -hmm. who's going to be content to um, you know, to kind of sit and watch and observe. Having said that, I'm also very aware that I am young and mm -hmm. I have never been an MP before. And I want to recognize that we have some powerhouses in the caucus already, mm -hmm. and I would not presume that I would you know usurp what they have um, earned and 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 their positions, and especially in this um, opposition time, mm -hmm. they've worked very very hard. Yes. Um, but I would hope that I would be able to earn those same positions and make sure that I was I was contributing well. And you know, regardless, it's not about great ideas. It's about ideas with influence. So I would make sure that I was a very uh, large contributing member to what we were doing and a massive noisemaker and advocate for our mm -hmm. constituents. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Well said. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> would, uh, would you like to nominate someone? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I would love to see uh, Ray Winsow. Okay. And he is um, the president of my construction company. He actually was one of the founding members of CHBA here, the Canadian Home Builders Association. Mm -hmm. And he won the award for the um, best association of the year back um, when he first established it. So been in the construction industry for 40 years, has seen absolutely everything um, he is a, a great leader within our organization and really someone who I have a lot of uh, esteem for and how he conducts himself and his integrity. So That's definitely great. would love to hear his take on why he loves Kelowna so much. Fabulous. Well, after the uh, no nomination process is yes. done, mm -hmm. I'd like to get you back on the show to talk about the campaign Absolutely. for 2019. I would love that. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. And thanks for doing this. Luke Mankus is a realtor. He loves what he does. We asked Luke if he had any regrets about moving here in 2011. And he always says, yeah, one regret. And that is he didn't move here sooner. When Luke came here, he didn't know anyone. He didn't know the neighborhoods or anything or anyone besides his daughter, who was six years old at the time. 
so he knows what it's like. Now, he's an expert and has helped well over 100 single people, couples, families, and investors with their real estate needs in the Okanagan. If you're new to our beautiful city, Luke can help you get connected with great lawyers, dentists, carpenters, landscapers, swimming pool installers, you name it. And whether you're new to Kelowna or not, Luke knows real estate. He can help you find a great property, negotiate a good deal, and hold your hand all the way through the process until the day you get your shiny new set of keys. Luke is known as a no-pressure kind of guy. He's had clients where it took even a year or more to get them into a property. He just doesn't believe in rushing things. On the other hand, when you decide it's time to act, he's diligent, and he'll work day and night until the job is done. Give Luke Make Us a call or a text message at any time, 778-215-4273. Again, that's 778-215-4273, 778-215-4273 to chat with Luke about real estate.